If you only had one minute to give music artists the best music marketing advice you possibly could, what would you say? One minute on the clock. So I always say the manager is, it's kind of like a bike wheel and you're in the middle and like all the spokes are attached to it and you're trying to make the wheel keep moving. So you're really touching everything and you want to make sure like that wheel is balanced and all the spokes are there and that it and that something doesn't break and it stops moving. They like well-lit not pixelated content like that's what tends to perform better on these platforms not just in music but in general i think the reason that she was able to make money is because she really does have a fan base that truly buys into her merchandise they want to meet her so they pay for vips and so i think if you're want to make money on the road especially if you're not playing like the big big rooms that get you the higher guarantees you really need to focus on building your your fan base. So one thing I always tell artists is to think about, let's say it's the 1970s. Why are you an artist? What is your goal? Why do you want to make music? Why do you want people to hear it? Why do you want to be on stage? And then I like people to have their goals and then think about music marketing as secondary to that and really encourage artists to think about music marketing, and in particular, in my case, a lot, social media marketing. Think about marketing as a tool to get there versus marketing being the goal. A lot of the times, artists have goals in terms of amount of followers, amount of streams, and that sort of thing. And those can be good secondary goals. But if that's your main goal, then you're probably chasing fame versus chasing the good reasons of why you want to be an artist in the first place. Brilliant. With like a second to spare. I like being able to see it. It helps. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I found when I stopped showing the timer, people would like not know and just keep talking or like stop too short. So yeah. (laughs) Glad you like that. So uh, yeah, you, you have some crazy awesome accomplishments that, that when I was reading through your rap sheet, so to speak, you've been on the Forbes 30 under 30 list and billboards 30 under 30 list, which first of all, like congratulations, that's, that's a very select list, right? And, and a lot of people probably don't realize how awesome that is, but I do. That's awesome. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, but your client, your, sorry, your company has clients like Pink, Camila Cabello. Is that how you say Camila Cabello? Camila Cabello, like, yeah. Camila Cabello, Usher, Paramore, Apple, Google, etc. But from what I could see, it looks like you got your start in the music industry at the age of 12 by running a newsletter for Backstreet Boys fans. Is that, and could you like walk through like, that and how that evolved into who you are today? Yes. So I grew up living with my grandparents and my grandfather was amazing. One of his, I think, coolest traits was that he was super curious about everything. And that included a lot of things related to technology. So when AOL came on the market and became a more widely available thing. And for people who don't know what that is, because I realized that some people don't now, it's crazy to be old enough for people to not know what that is. But <laughs> AOL basically was a software that made the internet as we know it, something that could be in an everyday home. And so we were one of the first families to have that because he was always the first to have every sort of gadget. And I remember him showing that to me and showing me how to sign online. And I really kind of fell in love with like being able to have all that information at my fingertips and being able to create using that platform. And, you know, creating at the time is very different than it was now. Like 
being a, you know, a fan creator, I guess at that time meant I was making an email blast and I was designing a really bad looking website, but I, I loved doing <laughs> it. And I learned a lot of actually the building blocks of like things that I even, even use today. And I think the love and enjoying that plus around the same time I was, you know, loving my first band, the Backstreet Boys, I still love them to this day very much. And it was, it really kind of became a thing of sort of combining those two loves. And I was using this thing, this new internet thing and combining it with like expressing my love and fandom for the Backstreet Boys. And it just really, that's, I, I would say that's like one of the main building blocks of where all of this, you know, started for me and where it's, you know, it's been a huge indicator of kind of where that's, you know, my career has ended up today. Yeah. That's all. I, I, that was the first internet I had in my house growing up was AOL. And yeah. Like Netscape or something. And you, you do the log on and then it's like, <laughs> yep. like the crazy like internet dial up sounds and all that. Totally. And I'm sure all, all the people in my audience who are in their like, you know, their fifties and sixties are probably like you young kids, you think you're so old. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but now Backstreet Boys is also one of your clients for your, your company too, right? Yes, they are. So that's a that's a pretty big leap. Like, how did they become like, how did you start working for them and not just being being like a, a, a super fan? <laughs> so I actually I mean, I still I still consider myself a super fan. Even yesterday, um, uh, somebody from their management team, like, called me to ask me questions, not anything related to marketing, but about their like discography and what songs are important <laughs> to their like hardcore fandom. So I, you know, I still, I still have that title. Uh, it's just, um, I, I crowdsurf existed for about five or six years before Baxter boys became a client. And I, I think we could have made it happen sooner, but it's that saying of like, don't meet your heroes. I think we, me and my business partner both love them. And I, I think we were kind of almost a little scared of, getting involved because we didn't want it to tarnish these memories that we had of them growing up and the memory and then memories we had to, together as, as friends. And I think yeah. that we finally came to the point where we decided to take that risk and want to work with them and, 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 you know, know them better and know their team better. And fortunately, I think that turned out really well. They're really kind people, their team has been great to work with. The guys have been really great to work with. And they've never made us feel, they've never made us feel belittled because we're fans of theirs. Like, I, I think they really see that as a strength. And we were scared about that yeah. because when, at the beginning of our careers, a lot of executives gave us the advice of, to like tone that part of who we were down, to tone the fandom down, to not look like a crazy fan or to not look like a wannabe groupie or whatever. And so I think we were kind of traumatized by that and we're scared about how that would affect our relationship with them too. But they, yeah. I think they really see it as a positive thing and don't view it as negative at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about it intuitively, who would understand how to market them better than the person who is like the target audience of that marketing, you know, like you, if, if you're not actually a fan, like how do you design, like most effectively design like marketing strategies to target said fans? And there's ways you can do it. You can, you can pull people, you can ask people things, you can, you know, bra have brainstorm sessions with, with groups of people in your team and all that. But like 
so often when I'm struggling for ideas for like my, my YouTube channel, for example, I'll just send a thing to my email list and be like, like, what do you guys want? And, uh, or I'll ask someone who I've kind of like over time that like likes my content, I'll just like say like, what do you think about this? Because they will be able to tell me, right? Cause they're a fan or super fan or whatever you want to call it. And so that seems like an advantage, not a disadvantage, but it's funny that the industry people might initially kind of, you know, not want you to come off as like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, or whatever. But, um, that's really cool that that um, you kind of get to meet meet the hero, so to speak. Yeah, um, and I think that that perception has changed a lot in the past 10 years in terms of I'm seeing a lot of really big A-list artists want people who know their catalog or are actively a fan of them in this time frame, depending on where they're at in their career. I'm seeing a lot of artists be more open to that, but it really wasn't the case 20 years ago. Like, it really was viewed yeah. in a lot of circumstances as a is a really negative thing in a w- in a way that a lot of executives I think maybe kept competitors out or I don't know yeah. you know there's a lot of reasons I can theorize as to why that existed but the thing I can attest to this in the 20 years I've been doing this it has changed yeah. and I'm happy to see that so in the last 20 years you've seen a lot of different social media platforms come and go and also i mean social media start existing and you got started with the very early days of myspace and facebook and i i think that's where crowdsurf got started right like you, you guys focus a lot on social media for like your marketing method correct yes so i i almost even think my career kind of started i mean i feel like my career started with aol but I would say probably the first social media platform I was using to market artists was actually Pure Volume. I was helping with some local bands with Pure Volume in high school. And I think that was a, I don't know how familiar people are with Pure Volume, but I think Pure Volume was a very important predecessor to MySpace in particular because it had the music player that I think MySpace kind of took a lot of inspiration from. So Pure volume was kind of like if MySpace was only artist and there wasn't really like a profile where you could have a profile for yourself. And I think MySpace sort mm-hmm. of evolved that idea to where like artists have a profile, but like people have a profile too. And that's, I don't think we had seen that yet, at least not in the capacity that MySpace, you know, ha- did it and the popularity that, that, you know, it grew to. Um, yeah. but yeah, we started, so I was running pure volume, uh, pages for local bands and then in Kentucky before I moved to Nashville for college. And then when I moved to Nashville for college, MySpace came out my first year of college. And I was at the time I was actually like a sales college rep for the Warner music group. And my job was to like put up displays, record stores and set up giveaways on campus and, that sort of thing. And when MySpace came out, I went to my boss and I said, I want to run a MySpace page for one of our artists. And I think she's kind of like, I don't really know what that means, but I'll let you spend (laughs) several hours of your commitment a week doing that. And, you know, tell me who you want to do that for and I'll connect you with their manager. And I, I, you know, I did that. And that's where I think, you know, the actual, like being a part of a record label and doing, social media for a, a major label artist. That was kind of like my first moment with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you got started super early with that and a lot of people didn't see the benefit of it then. I'm sure a lot of people 
have been kicking themselves every couple of years when they see like, oh, this platform exploded. All these people, you know, grew millions of followers on this platform. And now it's like, it, it sucks. It's hard to do it or whatever. You know, like yeah. if someone got in with MySpace initially and so many artists like blew up in MySpace and then blew up on Facebook and then blew up on Vine and then blew up on TikTok. Um, are there any, what are the platforms that you focus on now for the most part? And, and are there any platforms that are kind of like sleeper platforms that people aren't paying attention to or people aren't taking seriously enough? So I, I don't think there's anything along the lines of like the next Instagram or TikTok yet. Um, I hope there is soon. I, I think the like the the social media ecosystem is kind of ready for that. So I would say some of the more sleeper platforms I'm kind of noticing now are more sort of tools within these existing platforms. I'm having an artist right now have a really big moment with Instagram Reels, actually. Um, I'm having some people mm -hmm. having really big moments with YouTube shorts. I still have people who have big moments with Snapchat. I think that in general is kind of a sleeper platform that more people should give more attention to. Um, but those are kind of the, you know, main things I'm thinking about. I, I still believe, I don't know if this is like a wide scale thing, but I think something a developing artist could do that's kind of untapped is uh, Ultimate Guitar actually serves content kind of similar to TikTok on their app. And I think that... Mm. I don't, I think some I think it's lacking great content and like really good artists and I think it, somebody could build an audience of people who love music that way. I haven't seen anybody do that yet, but I actually think that could be an interesting story. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know that they had an app, never mind a social media component. Like I go on Ultimate Guitar to find tabs. Yeah, right? and and, and <laughs> it, yeah, and the app like is for that, but they also have a section where they serve video. And yeah. they show and they, and they actually like tie the tab to the video, I think. Or you can like look up the song. Ooh. I don't know the exact mechanics, but I remember I remember I was because I occasionally play gu guitar. And so I'll, I'll use that to look up um, chords. Yeah. And I noticed that and I was like, that's interesting. I bet there's like I bet somebody could have like a story with this if they really focused on it. I haven't had the right artist for yeah. it, but somebody take it and run with it. I think it could be an interesting way to reach people. I feel like the more technical kind of genres like progressive metal or metalcore or jazz or, you know, things where like the instrument proficiency is like at an all time high. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's probably the type of artist that could really exploit that because all the people on that website are like instrument players for the yeah. most part or total music nerds, one of the two or both. And if you're playing this, like you're amazingly skilled at guitar and you're playing all these amazing songs and like if people are already using the app who are trying to learn and become like you, they're going to look up to you and you're, that does sound like a really cool path. And it's probably, as you said, it's not for everyone. Like it's not like a rapper is going to go on there and, stay, you know, <laughs> no. that be the best fit. But somebody, again, like if you're really good at an instrument and that's like a highlight of you, like you're a really great guitar yeah. player, you're a really unique bass player, like, the, or a really amazing yeah. piano player. I, I think that there's a lot of, you know, opportunity there, but I think you would, again, like you said, you'd have to be really good at like exceptionally yeah. good at one particular thing like that. It's funny that you brought up Snapchat because I, I talked to Tamima from Next Step Talent a few episodes ago. I don't know if you, you know, that company, but yeah, yeah. I know Tamina. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they, uh, well, she was talking about how like Snapchat is like this sleeper platform that a lot of people aren't 
aren't taking advantage of and apparently the monetization opportunities in there are like really crazy if you're on the bigger end of the creators spectrum like in terms of size but um a lot of people i know they're well i'd never use snapchat but my wife uses it all the time to talk to her friends but she also follows people and i'm guessing it's just because i'm a millennial and most people using it are gen zers but <laughs> there's just a difference in in demographic there where it's less appealing to me yeah, it's interesting i think it's kind of like based on region and friend group too because I, you know, my cousins and my cousins span, you know, millennial and Gen Z, but we have a very active Snapchat group and they're all really active on Snapchat. And I find that a lot of people in different friend groups that I know from Kentucky are very active on that platform, but like my friend groups in Los Angeles aren't. So I think that a lot of times mm. it depends on where you're at and who you know, but the people who do use Snapchat a lot are pretty religious about it and they they will yeah. prioritize that over like sending an iMessage or a standard text or a WhatsApp. It's it's really interesting, but people who like it really like yeah. it and use it a lot. And there's millions of people who use it every day. And so there's <laughs> an audience that's sitting there yeah. waiting to be served content. And I just think that a lot of times it's overlooked. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be that, at least. So you also have a artist management division of your company as well, right? And yes, we specifically you um, you not only work with music artists, you also work with like influencers or, or you know content creators as well. Um, what's the scoop? With so, I mean, we we have three artists that we we manage. Um, Lauren Gray is one of those artists, and we st you know she does do you know creator work as well. But the, I think the reason we got connected to her was because of music. And then we manage mm -hmm. uh, Katie Turner and uh, Leanna Firestone as well. So they're, we call them our girls. Um, they're great. Uh, <laughs> and I think we're a really good fit for them. I think that, you know, we're a really good artist management fit for artists that it seems like all of them were in situations where maybe they felt a little over dictated to or over controlled before. And I think that we really mm -hmm. work with them and they feel like, a partner versus somebody who's being told what to do. And it's, you know, just been a really good fit. And I think we all really like working with each other and enjoy yeah. working with each other and talking to each other all the time. And that's important because management is such a close relationship and somebody you're probably going to talk to every day. And I just think it's so important that that mutual respect exists in that relationship I mean, it's important mm. everywhere, but like really important in, in that one because just the frequency of communication. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a, a lot of people uh, might not even know like what, what a manager does or and obviously it's different on a case-by-case -case basis. So what kind of resources or expertise do you provide for the artists that you manage? So I always say the manager is, it's kind of like a bike wheel and you're in the middle and like all the spokes are attached to it and you're trying to make the wheel keep moving so you're really touching everything and you want to make sure like that wheel is balanced and all the spokes are there and that it and that something doesn't break and it stops moving and there's just so many little parts that exist in that there's a lot of logistics so making sure that like you know if an artist has a show at a college next week 
Is ever you know, are all the band members showing up? Is it staffed? Is there, you know, are there flights booked? How much does that cost? Are they making money on this? Is it properly insured? Like all, you know, all the mm. little like details on that. But then you're also thinking about a lot of big stuff too, in terms of what, you know, what is coming next in this artist's career? Like what is the mu- next music cycle going to look like? What is touring going to look like? with that and how do we line that up for the most success what time of year is going to be better to do a tour what time of year is going to be better to um to release music but really you know you're you're so like ingrained on the details but then you also have to be able to really pull out and see the big picture too and that that can be kind of a tough contrast sometimes to be like in details and then also like not be in the details yeah yeah yeah, because like going down the rabbit hole of like planning flights and making sure the members are there and getting insurance when you need it, but then also knowing like backing out and saying, okay, we're planning this tour, and then we're releasing these songs on these dates because they co-align with this tour cycle we're doing and releasing. We have this content coming out of these periods with these music videos in this date, so that's kind of like the top level down. And then, but you're also doing all the little crap that uh <laughs> that no one wants to do right the other stuff's exciting the micro tasks like booking flights that's not the sexy stuff that's just like the that's probably in a lot of cases the stuff that the artist would probably struggle the most with uh because they're, they're they do it for the first time they're going to flounder with it but if you've worked with multiple artists you know like there's all these little things you got to do um whereas a first-time artist is probably going to mess up a lot of that stuff yeah, and it depends on who they are, because I have one artist who we hired a tour manager, but she like had already, I'm like, you do realize you just already did like the tour manager's job. Like she routed and picked out all the hotels and everything. I've I've one that really likes that stuff. Um <laughs> everyone's so different, you know? It's it it, 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 yeah. it it's funny. Um I mean, she still needed, you know, there's still like the experience that comes into play with that though, because if you haven't booked a tour before, like you can do, you know, plan routing and think about what times you want to drive and where you want to stay in that sort of thing, but you're probably not going to know that like you need insurance and that you, if, if you're routing a tour and your vehicle's X amount of feet high, that you're going to have to take into consideration, like using <laughs> tools that help you route um, to not take off the top of your vehicle. Um, thinking of, you know, be remind them that like, Hey, you're, you know, your vehicle is large to park and you're not just going to be able to drive into most cities and be able to park that you're going to have to like, yeah, think about logistics on that but you know so experience kind of comes into play on you know that kind of stuff even if somebody is really all about the details <laughs> so it's it's interesting yeah, yeah. everyone's so different <laughs> yeah that's nuts so on the on the money side because i'm assuming part of part of the old management is is like as you said making sure the artists make money on shows but you probably also have insight into where the artist is making their money as like from everywhere so obviously like there's streaming there's merch there's probably some patreon stuff there's some social media maybe brand stuff or, or whatever fan clubs and then there is touring and then there is whatever and you know uh, obviously it's different from every from every artist but are there any trends in the artists that that you either manage or work with for like what is their biggest revenue stream or what is what is the weird surprise that like oh they they generally don't do very good in this area, which you'd think would be the other way. Like, is there any kind of interesting thing in that? I mean, traditionally, once you get to the point where you have a fan base, touring is always going to be the king when it comes to to making money. Um, I will say some artists 
you're going to see like a surprisingly nice amount of money sometimes on like, I have one artist who also does like co-writing for other artists. And sometimes Uh you'll get like a nice chunk of change that you didn't expect from a co like from a writing credit somewhere. That song has, you know, done well on streaming. Um, And then also from collaborations too. I remember we, you know, sometimes you forget you even like did all this, you know, did a deal and then, you get a check and you're like, oh, like 40 grand, didn't expect that. And it's like, you're part of the master in a song that you participated on. And maybe that song wasn't like a huge blowout hit, but it, you know, did okay on streaming and you're, you, but you don't think it's going to, your percentage of that song is going to pull you 40 or 50 grand. And then that kind of comes in and you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. I, I like, I didn't forget about it, but I just didn't expect it to, I just hadn't counted on money from that. And so those kind of right. moments can be can be really really nice um, as sort of like the like IP part uh, or or IP part of writing a song or like the master ownership of an- another song that yeah. either you are an artist on or participated in for some other reason. Right, right. So, what about for artists who are less established? Uh, you know, I know people who they try to do shows and they're making like almost no money for show and no one wants to book them and it's hard. Um, what are the things that you've seen are most important when trying to get one of your acts to get booked on a show? Like, what are the questions like if you're trying to get them to play with an, like open for another artist or there's a certain venue you're reaching out to? What are the things that they value the most in saying, yes, let's do this? So... I think it depends on what the goal of playing a show is. So, cause there's some artists where they see playing a show or like getting an opening gig is like, that is a marketing opportunity. And they know that there's going to be no financial upside really going into that. And I think you just kind of have to know, like, this is, this is the same as me buying ads on meta or buying a radio ad. Like this is, <laughs> you know, this is an investment to get me in front of yeah. people that I think, might become a fan long term or to get me experience on the road to build my own fan base, whatever it is. I think that there's that situation that's an investment. And then there's the there are people who have fans and they can, you know, make money going on the road. And I, I actually had an artist that we managed that had a lot of success on a tour that she did. She did a club tour doing 300 to 500 person rooms went 90% sold on the tour and actually made a profit, which is very rare in that size room. And at this phase in the career. And I think the reason that she was able to make money is because she really does have a fan base that truly buys into her merchandise. They want to meet her. So they pay for VIPs. And so I think if you're want to make money on the road, especially if you're not playing like the big, big rooms that get you the higher guarantees, you really need to focus on building your, your fan base and having a good Mm. relationship with your fans, because that's the only way to be profitable long-term playing smaller venues. Ask someone. Right. Gotcha. Well, on a related note, if you had a new artist that came to you, and obviously you probably have a certain criteria for if you're going to choose to work with someone like you, you're probably not going to manage an artist who has zero fans, but let's say you had to, it's like, it's like your 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 child or like your cousin or like your best friend or something comes to you as in zero and you're like you have to you have to work with them to get them from zero to hero in like a year. What are you doing in that situation? You got a brand new artist, their music's phenomenal, 
They're they're make great content. They're good to look at. Like they got the whole package. How do you get the word out about them? What is what's kind of like your game plan to to get them growing as fast as possible? So I think we actually, I mean, not that I was forced into this, but I think we actually have a project <laughs> right now that was kind of similar to this. Um, we picked him up this year and we actually did a deal where we're doing a, this is the first time I've done this. I'm excited about it, but we're doing a percentage of master versus a monthly retainer. And that's kind of a precedent that I want more digital companies to be able to go in and negotiate like that in the future. So I'm glad this is working out and we're able to do that. But um, have an artist that we set up that kind of deal. He started the year with, I think he had like 11,000 Instagram followers and now he's at over a half million and it's yeah (laughs) and he's growing really fast right now it took a second to like gain that momentum but now that he has it it's been really cool to watch that and I think some of the keys to his success are one focusing on video content versus photos and nobody it's hard to get exposure with photo content videos where it's at Two, really staying focused on music and content versus like uh, chasing other trends or whatever. Because unfortunately, in most cases with artists, until somebody likes your music, they don't really care too much about your personality. <laughs> um, and, th- you know, that, I think that comes later as you develop a fandom. But people, first yeah. and foremost, are generally in most cases going to fall in love with your music first. So keeping his content really music centric I think has been really important in showcasing that he's a great artist and that his voice is really good that has been like the core thing and it's like just show up on the internet and be an artist every day and I think another sort of contributing factor to that is the consistency of continuing to post daily and Mm. everything's kind of in a similar format all the lighting is pretty it's not dark I think a lot of artists want to be cool so they like shoot stuff in the studio and it's dark, but unfortunately the algorithms don't really like that. They like well lit, not pixelated content. Like yeah. that's what tends to perform better on these platforms, not just in music, but in general. So the content sort of being centric around that, I think has been important. And then I think a fourth thing is um, having a quirk in the video. So it's not just the singing. So this artist every day he holds a coffee mug in his video while he's singing and the amount of engagement around the coffee mug, you know, what people, the commentary they have is interesting. It's like, why isn't it spilling? What kind of tea is it? Why do you have it? Why are you in the bathroom? Like, but it's having something else to talk about. Like the music is obviously first and foremost, but having another like almost like video Easter egg, I think has been really important part of this campaign as well. So those are some things that I you know I would recommend to a developing artist to to think about in terms of building their audience how, online. How long was that journey from eleven thousand to half a million? You said. Um, I mean, in the so most of the growth has been in the past six weeks, actually. Um, Whoa. Okay. It's re- wow. it's been really fast, but it took a second to like figure out what worked. You know, like okay, like. Because some of the videos were darker before. And another thing we kind of that was kind of played around with was like text placement. What kind of songs you're doing covers on. And then like once you find the groove and it works, like really hone in on it. But you're going to have to experiment a little bit. And that doesn't mean that people don't like you. It just means your content 
is not like at first glance being received well, or it's not the algorithm isn't serving it, whatever it is, we have to keep trying stuff until like something clicks. And then once it clicks, like double down on that strategy right. and, you know, keep it rolling. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with him, what was that? Like, was that 100% of the plan? Like we're going to go on social media every day or even specifically just Instagram. We're going to post a video every single day or was it, were there multiple platforms or were there any paid marketing methods or PR or whatever? No PR. Um, <laughs> uh, he still does not have publicity. He's not touring with anybody. It really has all come down to to digital. And like, granted, I give most of the credit to the artist on this. Um, I think we're kind of helpful cheerleaders in terms of keeping him motivated. But his discipline yeah. on posting consistently and not giving up is really what I think has sort of led him to to the success he's he's having right now. But th th every day wasn't necessarily the plan to go into it. I think the plan was just like, let's let's up the amount of content and analyze it as we're and try things. And so that we can yeah. slowly like tweak the this until we get it to where it's like ready to go. It's kind of this probably the same way that like, you know, if you're an artist, let's think about you're an artist and you go and you go into the studio and you make a first draft of a song. You're going to keep tweaking it until you get it to where you want it to be. You're going to keep changing lyrics, arrangements, instrumentation, production, whatever. It's the th same thing with social. Like we have to get it, we have to start yeah. and get an idea out, but we're going to keep tweaking it until like it gets to a, a spot where we're like, okay, like this is rolling and this is working now. I think the difference with social media is that that never ends. You don't like finish the song and put it out finally, but you're constantly <laughs> yeah. tweak it the same way like people edit and tweak a song and go through version seven, version eight. Like you're going to have your version seven, version eight of what your social media looks like. Right. Yeah. A lot of artists I talk to, they, they're hesitant to post a lot on social media because every post they want to do has to be like perfect. Like they're treating their social media like it's a song where they want like each post, the lighting has to be perfect. The video has to be perfect. The performance has to be perfect. Um, and I usually tell them like you, you can't do that. <laughs> like you, you know, like you can't like, yes, you want the content to be good, but if making this content perfect means you're posting twice a month and it could be like 90% as good, but you're posting three times a week. I think that's going to win every single time. Cause like usually the iteration of just doing lots of things is what makes you actually good. Right? Like I, I've uploaded like 800 videos on YouTube, you know, like I didn't, I mean, I still don't think I'm that good at making videos, but it, I got to the point where I am now because I uploaded 800 of them. If I, if I, I don't think if I spent 10 years making one video, I wouldn't be nearly as good at making videos as if I just made 800. Um, at least that's my mentality on it. Yeah. What's, what's your perspective on that? Yeah. Done is better than perfect. And I think I kind of like to put it in this perspective. Let's say, is it better to play two shows per month under the perfect circumstances with the perfect sound person and the perfect, and the perfect room and the perfect guarantee or would it have been better to do 20 shows that month which one what's which band is going to come out with more experience and have grown more as a group and it's going to be the group that played yeah. the 20 gigs versus the two is how i yeah. look at that for sure that's a really good way to put it the 20 the band who plays the 20 shows is also going to be exhausted uh, but <laughs> yeah, but, but, but they might lose their voice. But yeah, they're going to be way more experienced, and they're going to be they're going to be a way better live 
gig, right? Just doing 20 shows, even if they're all the smaller crowds and the money's like, they're going to be way more experienced. And they'll honestly probably, they'll probably make more. They're not, maybe not being as efficient and all that, but like, it's a really good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Maybe get more fans, you know, they're going to, and, and they're, the thing is they probably, they probably would make more people like happy too. You know, they're going to make more people yeah. like have a good night or, have something to go see or have like a moment with their friends too. Like, I think you're contributing more to like the music community and the world that way too. Yeah. One thing I noticed, you know, I haven't played a show myself in like 13 years or something. It's been a long time, but when I, when I was in you know high school and through my teenage years, I played a decent amount of shows. I, I, I did a, my, my rock band and my acoustic stuff. And I also ran an open mic night for years and, and I noticed that like when when you don't play that many shows, it's like you don't like have as much fun at each of those shows, but also you don't you're not as like chilled and like you're not networking as much and you're not because like you're so in your head about like, oh, this show has to be perfect, this show has to be perfect, I'm going to mess up, I'm going to mess up. But if you start doing like a whole bunch of performances, it just becomes this thing that you do. And then, like, you can you, you actually end up enjoying the time performing more. And then you're more likely to, like, network with the other bands and do all this stuff because you're not in your head about, like, oh, the show has to be perfect. You're like, I'm going to do another one next week. I did one last week. Whatever. I'm just going to do a good job. And then I'm going to take advantage of all this other stuff that's around me, like, interacting with people that watched me and meeting the other bands. Um but this is also coming from a guy who hasn't played a show in 13 years, so I might be off base. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think that I think that social media carries a lot of similar, like a lot of similarities to that mentality, though, is that if you do it more often, it kind of, you know, if something doesn't do well, it just comes out in the wash versus it being like your moment yeah. to shine. And it, it just takes the pressure, like doing it more often takes the pressure out of it. I, I truly believe yeah. that. Yeah, it's, it's nice working with artists in the similar thing who have, like, a ton of music. Like, they, they've got their next 30 songs done. Yes. They're just, you know, they're just waiting to drop it because it's like you drop a song and it's just like, it just sucks. Like, it's not that the song sucks, but that no one's eating it up. It's not getting algorithmic exposure. The ads are going bad. The organic content's going bad. It's just like, okay, let's let's drop the next one in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it, you know, that kind of thing. Or, or but like, if, if they're, like they got like three songs a year or four songs a year. It's like each of those things has to, there's so much more pressure on each of those. If you're releasing 12 a year, it's like, you know, you still care, but there's way less pressure because the next one is coming in four weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And you just, you just have to do your best. Like I did my best making this piece of content and doing your best doesn't mean spending all the time in the world. And it like, it's, you know, that, that balance of like doing your best and trying to get the, best outcome I, I remember in the yeah. four agreements there's some sort of section about somebody asking uh i think a monk about meditation and they're like you know how much should i meditate today and the monk says two hours and they're like well what if i do four am i going to get more of an outcome and they're like no it's it's still gonna be <laughs> the same outcome as this too <laughs> so that's what i really think about when doing your best is like you know if yeah. that extra time isn't going to do anything else then that's not doing your best that's using your time inefficiently right right so i was stalking your instagram because i stalk everyone's instagram who, who i do an episode with or whatever social media i can find and so you've had a, a decent amount of um post for like you know uh, you were i don't know if this is a magazine 
the Women's Day magazine? Yes. Were you on that? We were, me and my business things. partner were in it. Yeah, we they did a, a feature about um, basically like friends that were, that are also business partners. Yeah, and I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed this too, but like so much of the music industry is a massive sausage fest, right? <laughs> so um, it's been cool to see over time, like there's more and more women kind of come, like starting companies. Like, you know, I, I mentioned that I talked to Tamima a little while ago and I talked to several others, but um, what like, to all to all the ladies who are watching this right now, who maybe they're like young yous, like you from you from ten years ago or you from even twenty years ago, like what would you say to them when they're looking at the current music industry for like proceeding forward in, in today's world? I would just I really want to encourage people to go for it and to not give up. I feel like a lot of and I understand why. I feel like women in particular are more susceptible to burnout as they kind of turn 30 and go into their 30s than guys are. And I I, I get why. Um, there's a lot of, you know, varying factors we can debate on that. And I just don't think we're going to ever see a big change in female leadership and gender equality if more women don't stick it out and I think we need to all as a music community figure out how to be more supportive of you know women kind of coming into the mid parts or like going into the higher roles in their career how do we make it easier for them to to stick it out how do we make it how do we make it more comfortable to not you know make them want to throw in the towel because we we need them and I, I see a lot more equality kind of like when you're coming up in your 20s but then people drop out and it, it, you know, I feel like I start to see less of that even, I don't really, I, I, I feel that now for, for sure. Um, so I yeah. just want everyone to figure out how to stick it out. And if you see somebody else who's having a rough time, like cheer them on because we need them to, to stick it out and, and want to stay in this yeah. business. Yeah. I think that the more, the more people there are like, like you, you own, or you own a company, right? You have employees, you've worked with all these amazing clients, you've been on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, but you know, all this like amazing stuff. And I feel like that's super inspiring to, to all the young women out there to like want to pursue this because, you know, they, you have role models and it, the more they look like you, the more likely you are to like treat them as a role model and all that. Um, and, you know, it's it's just crazy to me when you look like there's just look at the music industry and it's like all the leadership is just like old dude, old dude, old dude, old dude, like everywhere. <laughs> like, and um, it's just kind of crazy to me that it's like 2023 and it's still like that. But it's been cool to see like in the last like several years, like more and more, I've just, maybe it's just because I've been noticing more and more people bubbling up, but because um, you've been doing this for forever, right? Yeah. Like, I've been, it's not like you came around yesterday. Yeah. I've been doing <laughs> this for a second. I remember the year I was in, and I counted this because it does matter to me. I remember when I was in Forbes 30 under 30, I, you know, they, so they always do 20 art. So the way they sort of do the music categories, 20 of them are going to be artists and 10 of them are business people. And I was the only uh. female business person in that, in that. And when I was billboard 30 under 30, they do 40 now. But when I, when I was in it, it was 30 under 30. And I think there were maybe five or six girls and 24 guys. <coughs> and, and um, I've definitely seen yeah. those lists, like take that into consideration more. And I think last year, I think Forbes business part on the music sector was 50, 50, which I was really mm. happy or maybe it was the year before, but it was, I actually saw it go 50, 50 for the first time. Cause I watched that ever since I've been on the list. And yeah. so I was, I was happy to see that. I just hope that those, 
people kind of stick it out, you know, and stick around and continue to be impactful because that's, you know, yeah. that's uh, that's going to be an important part of this journey as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it's hard running your own business too, you know, like no matter who you are and, and what you like running a business and being profitable and managing a team and, and like doing what you do is like, it's hard, you know, there's a lot of hard work with it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a crazy yeah. conversation, um, when I was in New York, I, I met up with, um, a guy who used to be a head of a record label and he's doing his own like business now. And he asked me, he's like this label in the UK, they haven't paid me for two months. Is that normal? And I'm like, do you know how many times your record label, that you ran didn't pay me for at least six months. Um, I don't, I just, I don't, I, I was just like, it's, I was like, yeah, it's, it's not as easy as it looks. Um, you have to account for like yeah. people not paying their bills on time, but you have to pay your staff on time. There's, it's a lot of little logistical things like that to balance for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just blanked out what I was going to say. Oh Yeah. In the, what's like the thing that excites you the most? And as I think this will be our wrap up question for this call. It's like, when you look around at all like the new things coming around, like like a couple of years ago, there was like crypto and NFTs and now that's kind of tank. And there's like, you know, there's social media platforms are coming out with new stuff and Spotify's coming out with new features. Like, is there anything that you look at and you're like, oh, like that's cool or that's exciting or that seems like a cool opportunity or might be in a few years? So I don't know if this answers the question exactly, but something that I think is exciting for like my company is on my last round of meetings I did in London and New York, I met with a lot of teams and they all said that we feel like you all are the most impactful part of our team. And that felt really good. So to just kind of, you know, when I started at Warner digital was the last thing on the agenda and for people to now be saying at this point that, my team is the most impactful and they really see value in what we're doing has been really awesome. And I just, I'm excited about the future because I just think that puts us in a position to be able to help more artists. And that's why, you know, I think a lot of us do this in general is we want to help artists because we believe music is important and artists need to feel comfortable and have good team members in order to keep contributing music to the world. So I just felt yeah. really encouraged by that nice well let's let's say an artist is watching this and they're like wow cassie sounds awesome i want her to be my manager <laughs> what <laughs> is that possible and two like what does it take like if someone wants to work with you they think they're in a good position where they actually need management how do they reach out to you so instagram is generally the best way to reach me in dms for sure so my instagram is at uh, cassie petrie c-a-s-s-i-e P-E-T-R-E-Y. And I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn too. And it's just my name on there. You'll probably find me. I'm pretty active and post a lot. So if you just type in my name, I'll come up. Sweet. Anything else you want to leave the people with before we call it? No, just uh, if you want to be an artist, just show up every day and be an artist and don't get in your head about numbers. Just be an artist every day and eventually it'll all work out. <laughs>